Welcome to Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petralis, and we're so excited. Uh, Assistant Coaches Month, week four, uh, and another tremendous coach on here. Uh, Coach that's had longevity um, as an assistant coach, and I think that that's really important. I know myself as a coach, I was, you know, a a coordinator and assistant coach for about 13, 14 years before getting a head coaching job. So, uh, you know, I learned a lot in that time period, and I know as you coach as an assistant, you you gain a lot more knowledge as a head coach. I'm excited about this coach we're having on today. Played with Meth personally uh very good hockey player growing up a year younger than me but i uh, was always on the you know similar teams that i was on just a really good hockey player played at mefford high school uh played collegially a little bit at umass and salem state so we're really excited to kind of get his expertise on here today and someone who i think is is a head coaching candidate in the near future uh so without further ado from uh mefford high school boys hockey mark bates you there mark yeah, I'm here. All right, perfect. Awesome. So, yeah, man, we're going to get rocking and rolling, but really happy to have you on. I appreciate you coming on here and doing this uh, today. Uh, I really do. So, thank you. No, I appreciate you having me on. All right. So, um, again, what I think is really cool about your story is that you've been there for a long time. And it really reminded me and myself as a, uh, a coordinator myself be- being an assistant coach for so long. You know, talk about it because you've been coaching there 13 years and you've coached on the two different head coaches. So you kind of seen the program go in maybe different directions in some aspects. Uh, so talk about being an assistant coach there that long and just kind of what you've learned over the last 13 years. Uh, the last third, it's been quite an experience. Obviously, worked with one head coach for my my first four years. He's actually the one that gave me my start. Was Steve Benedictus was the first one to hire me as an assistant coach. And at the time when we took, it was basically a, a struggling program when we took over. We, we walked in, we had twenty five total kids for the our entire program for varsity and JV. So at that during that. Uh, yeah, my first year or two, we had to use kids in the middle school system, mostly eighth graders. To, thankfully, we had a good number of them that were playing hockey then to help get the program in. It was also to try to help get them into the school eventually without going to one of the parochial schools or elsewhere. And thankfully, a lot of them came in and joined the program. And we pretty much tried to build it from there. The first, it wasn't easy because, you know, as you know, to trying to, bring a new coach in you're trying to establish your own culture and yeah and it's tough to change it from whatever the guard was before of transitioning and you know like you said you know a new voice new leadership new direction yeah it can be really hard to do that i totally agree yeah so with the basically the way um thankfully steve was around because i I was you know kind of a little crazy back then when i first started because i and mr maloney ever gave me the head coaching job he probably would have the phone ringing off his hook because I had a lot of guys that I had talked to previously and they said, you go in there, you keep the kids that can help you build what you want. And you get rid of the kids that, that, not, that are not going to do that for you. And unfortunately, you know, we try to give everyone a chance. We didn't want to, we heard the kid was a bad kid from the previous year. We try to give the kid, let the kid, you know, earn, earn our trust, you know, so to speak. And at times a little tough, maybe some kids, they got a little bit longer release than they probably should have. But again, we had, at the time, we had nowhere else to look. We start getting rid of kids on the team. We're going to be bringing kids up. They're not ready to play at the bossy level. And then they suspecting the kid to injury, which you don't want to do. So you got to keep the kids around that, that can handle playing at the bossy level, handle playing against 18 year olds on a nightly basis. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, that's the hard thing, right? I mean, I think, 
anytime you come into a program, obviously you're going to kind of run into all sorts of walls, right? You're going to write run into walls of resistance or, you know, kids, like you said, not wanting to necessarily buy into that new voice. So, you know, trying to build a program around that, you know, as they say, the magic number is three to four years before you really maybe start noticing the results of your program, those freshman classes, or in this case for you guys, those middle school classes that were, you know, you're playing younger kids. And like you said, they could be more susceptible to injury, just playing with bigger, older and more physical kids. Um, you know, and, and what I kind of loved about you coaching in Mefford for so long is that you also play there. Um, you played through the rec program uh, and obviously played through the high school level. So being somewhere for so long, obviously there's a passion uh, and love for the city. Um, so, you know, I, I've had a few coaches on here and I ask them this question when I know they, they coach where they played. Talk about your passion for Mefford hockey. I mean, what it means to you and obviously the opportunity of here you are now still involved in the program, now being one of the voice of reasons of how to coach the program and lead them into the career direction well when i was in high school there was basically is what we all even my teammates we all lived for hockey it made it a lot easier to get go to school in the morning even though you know school work wasn't my favorite thing to do but i knew you had a pass in order to be able to play and um so that was kind of a motivating factor like, to pull you out of bed every day get to school and just a it was like kind of, I'll never forget my freshman year. We walked into the jamboree and you know, coach said, All right, let's go. And I'm only a little freshman and then the you know, we had kids that jumping through the roof all fired up. It was like a and that's basically something that like we carried on for the next four years. And it's something even as a coach now, you try to like get the coach get the kids to get fired up and you know, start jumping around before the game so they're ready to play. Cause sometimes some of these kids cause they I think they play so much hockey now. It's just, it's just like another game that they at times and it can be like a morgue in the locker room. It's like, you know, we got to be ready to play here, guys. That's a really good point. I mean, that's a tremendous point because, you know, when you play for your high school, like those games are supposed to be the only games you really play. And now hockey is just so seasonal. It's played every season possible. Like you said, it could be their – it could be their 50th, 60th game of the, of the year that they're playing in. And like you said, after a while, it might be harder to kind of get them up to play because at that point they're playing summer. They're probably playing in the fall. So by the time they get to high school, like, yeah, they've already kind of had a couple seasons under their belt in a sense. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that's one of the things I've kind of noticed while I've been coaching. Granted, I've had a lot of kids, they, they care, but just sometimes it's just that like just that low. It's like, well, it's just it's just another hockey game, and it, it shouldn't be that way. There should be, a, you know, you got the your city name on your jersey, your school name, and you're playing for your obviously yourself, your friends, your teammate, your classmate, the, basically the entire city. So there should have a lot more meaning behind that, a lot more you know pride and respect that goes along with it. Yeah, and I feel like just covering the high school sports that we've been covering this year. Like I went to the Burlington boys basketball game. They were in the final four at Worcester state. They played Norwood, went to overtime. They ended up losing, but they took down three fan buses. And like you had all sorts of people that took an hour plus truck to get there and were going crazy. And some people I was talking to, they were just people who lived in Burlington who like wanted to support the basketball team. So it's just something like, you know, a lot of kids choose to go to Catholic school. I mean, I did my family. That's what their choice was for me, but you know, staying where you play and playing where you're from is something that, yeah, there's just it's hard to explain in words, but there's just such a pride to it 
of, of going out there and representing your city of town, because, you know, like, look at your cousin and this kind of will lead into what I want to talk to you about. Like, in my opinion, like Medford, Massachusetts hockey, like they've, they've had some great players come through, but you know, the head coach of the Medford high program right now is your cousin, Sean Bates. And to me, like Sean put Medford hockey on the map. I mean, I know before them, there were certain guys from Medford, like Kachuk or whoever else, but like Sean played at Medford high. Like he was the product of the system all the way through played in high school. And I know as a young kid, I mean, we're pretty close in age, but like I went to the garden, like I was like amped up that they played, you know, CM who was just absolute monster. I mean, those guys like won championship at the championship at the championship for well over a decade, you know, and he brought Mefford to the promised land, played at BU and obviously the NHL. I mean, for you and, and kind of tying that in with your pride of Mefford and talking about it, what's it like to coach under somebody who is for all intents and purposes, maybe the biggest icon when it comes to hockey in, in this city by, by a landslide. It's pretty fun. I mean, he obviously has a wealth of hockey knowledge. It's all he's done his whole life. But luckily for him, because he was so good at it, he never had to work in what we all consider a real job. So, <laughs> and I, I just, with the kids, I just, I don't think they realize how good he was when he played. Because a lot of these kids now, when they, a lot of them, when they were born, I think, you know, they were still maybe three to five years old. So they didn't really get to see him play. Their parents probably saw him play, but they, they didn't get to see him in high school like we did. And when he played at BU, and then obviously with the Bruins, then even with the Islanders. So he's, he's very, obviously very talented player. He's a very knowledgeable coach. He, he's what he knows best. And I think some of these, I think some of these things he runs by these, some of these kids that you kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It's just, it's just like, it's hard to comprehend where for him, he sees things happening, um, you know, a mile ahead of times. Yeah. And that's nice to coach with somebody like that. I mean, obviously playing the professional game, you've seen the game at its highest speed. So, you know, understanding things like power play or penalty kill or breaking out of your zone or, you know, getting the puck down low. I mean, those are all things that, you know, he's seen and done at such a crazy level. Um, yeah, those Islander games, man. I remember like him scoring like the, I think it was like a penalty shot or something like that, that I don't know if it, I figured if it won the game, but I remember watching it on TV and being like, oh my God. And he got into like a fight that game and he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And that was like kind of to me, that was just like, gee, you know, like that's, that's something. So yeah, I, I found that interesting. I mean, growing up, obviously the name Bates and Mefford, you hear that name. That's the first thing that comes to mind. So it's a great hockey family. There's a lot of you you're all really good hockey players, hockey knowledge. So uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to throw that out there. Give you guys your kudos for sure. Um, you know, I, I haven't played hockey in 20 years. Like, honestly, I, I covered a game last night, um, a fallen hero game, a uh, charity game. And I was on the ice a little bit skating around. And besides covering hockey games in the winter, I haven't done too much skating in, in a long time. So I'm an, I'm an average fan when I watch the game. You know, I love watching the bees. I'm obviously into hockey. Um, but as far as like little things that I notice, say watching football versus watching hockey, I don't pick up on those little things at all because I just, I guess I don't understand it. So, for me, like, how do you kind of, you know, work on things like breaking out of the zone or PK or penalty kill? I mean, how, what kind of goes into your thought of thinking when you guys are putting that stuff together uh, as far as a year goes and developing who's on the PK, who's on the power play? I mean, how do you guys work that type of stuff? We, we try to look at who, uh, you know, our most like versatile guys, because obviously, as you know, not every, not every guy plays power play, plays penalty kill. 
even, you know, if things been on the four and four for that matter, it's only some guys that do it because they can handle it better than other guys right now. Maybe next year, some of those guys that couldn't do it this year, maybe they can do it next year. They'll get better, have a better understanding at it. It's just kind of, just, you know, you go over to practice, you just simple, you know, it's not, you're not really overcoaching anything. You just throw the puck and you have two D go back together. You, you tell the D turn and, you know, hit the winger or, they can make their D to D pass and just, it's pretty much just. Um, Would you say it's more like, say your power play, is that, I mean, really a first line? I mean, is that kind of how you guys look at it? Or maybe you mix a match defenseman for a forward or something like that? Yeah, it's pretty much our first and second lines that will go out there in the power, on the uh, power play. And sometimes, if, you know, we don't have a, a, a demon that can really quarterback the power play that's comfortable back there with the puck because some kids at this level, they get a little nervous that they're going to. If you, especially if you're the height, if you're the quarterback back there, you got to be able to handle the puck. If you fumble it, the other team's going to be going back the other way on a breakaway on you. So sometimes if we have a forward that can, that handles the puck the best on the team, we're going to put him back there on defense at the time. You know, some defensemen might not like it, but obviously you know, at the high school level, you're trying to play to win the game. I mean, you see it at the NHL level. So there's really, it's not like all of a sudden this weird thing that they're doing at the high school level, you see it at all levels. Um, and I, I found interesting covering hockey this year, how well teams move the puck on the power play. I mean, even covering you guys, you guys had a couple power plays. The puck movement was great. You know, I think one of your goals might've been either at the end of a penalty or during or right after it expired. But, you know, there was some good puck movement, breaking into the zone, controlling the puck. I mean, pretty, pretty impressed. I felt like at high school hockey from when I remember it, you know, playing when I was younger or watching it, I just feel like high school kids, there is that control at the point. There is a little bit more finesse to it. They do understand spreading out and space and so on as far as like practice goes like i know in football for example like going into weeks like i know certain days like okay we're going to be working on you know a third down package or two minute drill or red zone coverage defensively you know and mixing obviously special teams and situational stuff let's say you play a team and you have practice the next day but in that game you go like oh for four on the power play is that next day is there an emphasis on power play or do you guys just kind of like understand that that's a weakness. You're still going to work on it, but you have other things that you're trying to build on. I mean, do you kind of gear your practices towards your performances from the previous game? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, we, we try to focus more so on the, you know, five on five aspect of it. We try to encourage the kids, you know, we stay out of the box. Obviously it's our best chance of winning the game, even because like that goal you brought up earlier, it, it was, it wasn't something that had to be worked on. It's just, someone needed to be willing to stand in front of the goalie on the other team. And oftentimes for whatever reason, we have guys that they don't want to do it all the time. That particular play, we had a forward back on D that, you know, he's a skilled, he has a lot of skill for a sophomore. He's just hopefully he can grow because, you know, the kid loves hockey. We had him back there. He, he made a nice shot, but the kid hadn't, we finally had a screen. We moved the puck around and finally had someone standing in front of the goalie. It's just simple it's simple concepts we're trying to run, you know, get to these kids instill in their heads. You know, we don't have to overcoach. We're not trying to ask them to do something they're not capable of. Just very basic things that you should be learning when you, you know, even when you're down at the might spurt level, working your way on up through the, you know, through the system. Is that a hard sell? Like, is that a hard sell to get a kid to screen a goalie in this time period? Like, say over the last like five years, is it harder to get kids to do that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some kids that are willingly stand out front for you, but it, I just don't understand why, you know, the kids just don't want to do it. I used to love standing out front. 
you sit there and get pounded from the defense from trying to get you out of there. And it's fine. And, you know, that's what hockey is, is battles. And, yeah. And I mean, and like, yeah. And every coach I talk to, right. Like every coach I literally talk to, no matter what sport it is, it's really kind of finding a role. And some kids accept roles that might be small in minutes or, or, you know, but important in task. And, you know, any guy, like you said, it can get out there in front of a goalie and screen a goalie and maybe take that physical contact, that cross checking from behind, but you're giving that goalie a tough time and they have to move around and maybe be out of place a little bit, you know, maybe opens up a backdoor play or opens up a little bit more than that when you shoot from the point and they just don't see it. So, you know, I get it. And and I, I ask you that because I see in a lot of different sports. I mean, I know in football, special teams, sometimes it's a really hard sell from you guys who are playing both ways. You know, you make it such a point of an emphasis of like, this is important. Like this could win you a game. This could change the momentum of a game. This could put us back into a game or put a game out of reach. Like special teams changes everything. So I always wonder that in hockey with PK and even power play how selling kids doing that is, you know, getting them to convince to get in front of a slap shot or stand in front of a defenseman on a PK when they were about to take a slap shot and block it. You know, it's, it, I guess it's a hard sell, but it's also, you know, finding your role and buying into it. Yeah. There's, there's some guys that are willing, but just, unfortunately lately, just not enough. Obviously the penalty kill, your main objectives, you have to be willing to block shots out there. All the other teams, they're going to have a field day on you. And the thing that drove me nuts, and what we try to show them too, is you know, they watch us get shots blocked all the time. It's like, we guys, we can do the same thing. You just got to get yourself on the shooting lane. You have to be willing. And the the weird part about it too is if you know you kind of shy out of the way, or if you lift the leg up, hoping the puck doesn't hit you. That's usually when you get hurt. Is when you're scared of getting hurt. You're gonna get, you'll get the puck in the wrong spot. Or the somehow the puck. When you do that, the puck just if you know it finds you unfortunately yeah and, I, and that's it. hard yeah you see like, i mean i remember i've had like shin pads literally break or crack taking a slap shot off of it you know i mean that's just kind of the role you buy into i like you said you accepted i kind of accepted that from the pk aspect like you have good stick movement good good with your hands and sometimes just being able to get a stick just to hit the stick in time or get just in front of the puck like you know, yeah, I mean, those are roles you take a lot of pride in. So I always wonder that because I noticed as I coached on certain roles that I felt were so important, even from a defensive side of the ball of bringing in an extra down lineman or taking a linebacker off and bringing in another corner or bringing another safety. I mean, those are the roles. And sometimes, you know, kids would eat that up because that might be their only 10 to 12 plays of the game, you know, but they're important parts there. They're down situations or whatever. Uh, so I always find it interesting because I've noticed such a shift in that. If that's across the board and it definitely seems like it is. So do you consider yourself like a more defensive minded coach or an offensive minded coach, or do you feel you're pretty balanced? I mean, how do you kind of look at yourself as a coach? I mainly just worked with the forwards, but I, if I had to go back and help work with the D I, I could do it just because, you know, I've been around for so long. Even when I coached a, um, a select program, I want to say about 10 years ago, I did it with a couple of, a couple of friends from mine. You know, I, one of my buddies did the forwards and I did the defense. It's not, you know, you, you want if you understand the game, it's it's easy to do. Yeah, you know, I, and and I kind of noticed that too. I mean, I was always a defensive back, wide receiver guy, but as I became a coordinator, I really kind of learned more linebacker and and still coach the receivers. You know, because to me, it was about the physicality being a receiver more than it was just running out and catching the ball. Um, and sometimes a lot of those guys were my defensive back, so it just made sense to kind of reiterate the physicality and the toughness and so on and so forth. Um, 
playoff system. You know, I'm just curious in your thoughts. I mean, there's never a right system. You know, I've been hearing mixed reviews from football to soccer to basketball to hockey. I mean, I guess I'll just ask you, what's your thought about, I'll ask you this in two parts. One, what's your thought of the new playoff system? Again, anything that you think. And then two, talk about maybe how it affected, maybe as, as of this year, how you booked your non-league games, uh, because obviously it's all about points. So you don't necessarily want to, you know, some teams used to throw cupcakes on there and get, you know, in the football world, get eight wins because they're not playing necessarily top-notch talent, but they're getting into the playoffs and they're getting that opportunity versus teams that might play a tougher league. I mean, do you guys look at your non-league differently now and say, huh, I wonder how we're going to book these games? Well, um, the first part of it, I really do wish hockey would have would have kept the super eight in play. I think because I think with the way the hockey landscape is right now, these kids have so many options and they might in other sports too, but you know, I mainly just focus on hockey. I mean, I'm sure baseball might have the same issue lacrosse and so on, but I wish they had the super eight because I think it helps keep a lot of brings a lot of kids back to these schools. I mean, yeah, I know the Catholic conference, a lot of those teams they have regulars in a tournament. Everyone thinks it's an automatic win for the Catholic conference teams, but this year, some of the publics did very well. You know, Winchester had a big win against, you know, a BC high. BC guy had kind of had a down year, but when they played a tough schedule, they still found the way into the semifinal with this new format. But, you know, a couple of publics got to them this year. That league had a tough time with some of, some of the teams from the middle section. Even Gloucester had a pretty good year. They, you know, they beat BC high this year. Um, in a crazy way, though, it kind of seems like the, the the way the tournament set up, the top seeds still found their way into the later rounds of the tournament, you know. But I just think the Super Ace more fun. Like, it's, I always looked, used to look forward to the Saturday morning, whether they had the selection show going on or, you know, I followed um, Jim Clark's Twitter page. He was always live in the room and stuff like that. You know, it's something I missed this year. And then the other thing I didn't like was some of the venues that they're playing. And, like, I, I understand, you know, other sports teams get teams get home games. I mean, some of these places that they they get packed, and they they can't handle these big crowds that are going in there. Which you know, it's it stinks for the even some of the family. You know, it's a, when you get in the state tournament, that's when obviously you get more fan support. You know, it's not just mom and dad coming anymore. You know, maybe your aunts and uncles, your cousins, you know, grandparents. They're you know everyone's showing up to watch you. Where it's a, a one and done situation. Yeah. I mean, even the game that I covered the semifinal game was three fan buses. I mean, that they probably fit 50, 50 kids a pop. So you're talking 150 kids just coming in for the game. Like you said, and that's not including friends and family and other school members, the other team. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that. And then how, as far as your like non-league schedule goes, did you guys look at that at all differently or did you kind of keep what you had for maybe, you know, pre COVID or what you had over the last year and a half? Uh, we kind of kept it the same. It was a little bit weird this year because coming off some of the teams that we played last um, back in, you know, 2019, 2020, we didn't, we didn't play again this year because last year during COVID, a lot of leagues went to, um, they did a, a league playoff for their, you know, their individual leagues. And so unfortunately with that, you know, now teams, they need less non-league games. And on our, on our end, we have the GBL. It's so small, like Revere dropped their program. And I want to say September. So now we had to pick up two, two games. We got lucky. Bedford was supposed to play them twice. And we, we ended up playing Bedford two times. But um, our, our non-league schedule has been pretty similar over the years. So, But maybe moving forward now, we got to try to throw like a, a couple, you know, 
maybe trying to find a couple more Middlesex teams to get in there because we saw this year with the new uh, tournament format, Melrose had one win and they got in the tournament, I think, just because of the success of the other teams in their league. Yeah, I mean, you had Stoneham who went to like the D4 Final Four, you know, and they played Wakefield. So, I mean, those are two teams right there that were one of them's going the finals, you know, and uh, yeah, Middlesex is always competitive. So getting those getting those points and you're right, they probably got a ton of points because it's pretty good hockey in general. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I it's it's all like the more I keep reading about it. I mean, to me, it just seems like travel's kind of crazy. I mean, I had Jimmy Rabbit on here from Kip Academy. He's a Mefford guy and he, you know, they, they went seven and one and drew like a, like 11 seat or something. And he's going to play, you know, in Mansfield. And then the next week he's down at Hull. Like he was kind of all over the place for a team that was seven and one and pretty good. So, you know, to me, it seems like some coaches with the points and how things are placed. I know, I think in hoop, there was something that changed that a team got forfeited and as a result, it affected a bunch of teams points and they had to reseed everything. So, you know, it definitely seems like there are some flaws that maybe need to be fixed or at least looked at and viewed. Uh, so it's, it's just interesting to see how teams are going to do this down the line, especially looking at their non-league and, you know, seeing the types of teams they are not only playing, but who those teams are playing, because like you said, points do matter and they, they can most certainly add up in your way. Uh, just curious as an assistant coach, because it's, it's a lot different than being the head coach. And I know my demeanor on the field was a lot different one versus the other. How would your players describe you as a coach? If I asked them what coach Bates style was, what would they say to me? Um, well, I, I try, I tend, I try to be very direct with these kids. Cause I don't what I learned in college. Like I, it was hard to get a straight answer from my coaches at times, you know, why aren't I playing? They, and they, you know, kind of give you the, the run around. It's like, just tell me I'm not good enough. I, I, I would feel much better and have a lot more respect for you walking out of this rink right now. But so I try to, I try, I try to be very honest with these kids. They, they might say I'm a little too honest. I do wear my heart on my sleeve when I coach. I mean, I don't hold back. It's because it's something I'm, I'm very passionate about. And it's something, you know, I enjoy doing this, even though it's a little, little part-time job. It's something, you know, I enjoy. It's a little break up from the day and stuff like that. Yeah. And do you feel like kids, I mean, that type of style, I mean, do you feel that has stayed consistently through the program as far as like kids coming through? I know for me, like sometimes it was hard. Like I always felt like I had to kind of adapt and maybe that, that was just me, but do you feel like at times now you might have to step off the gas pedal a little bit with that honesty? Are you guys like, no, this is kind of who we are. This is our program. Either get on the bus or, or get off the bus as they would say. Yeah. I mean, we obviously try to adapt a little bit because obviously you can't push the same buttons with every kid. So we, but you got to try to, you know, just be up front with them as a, you know, as a whole, because inconsistencies come up, that's when you get yourself in trouble. And obviously you want to try to run into headaches all the time, coaching. And it was something that happens. You want to try to keep those to a minimum as best you can. Yeah. And as coaches, like you're dealing with all sorts of stuff. I mean, just like things that are going on with these kids in school, out of school, personal life, you know, there's a lot that, you know, that, that happens that as coaches over the last few years, especially 
with COVID and everything else now are just dealing with a lot more. There's a lot more baggage that can come with the job as far as that goes. And, you know, how people feel about certain things. I'm sure masks wasn't an easy, you know, thing to, to figure out either amongst how different people felt about different things. So, you know, as a coach is there's definitely a lot more than just a product on the ice or the product on the field or a court. It's really, you know, it's really a balancing act of wearing a lot of different hats. So, and even as an assistant more so because you are the eyes and ears of your program in a lot of senses, you're letting the head coach what's going on kids are a little bit more you know maybe feel a little bit more comfortable or free to talk more in front of the assistant coaches therefore you can get a little bit of the pulse of the team and understand so on and so forth with all of that and wearing all those hats i mean when hockey's over how much time are you taking from hockey before you're even thinking about hockey again or even before you're thinking about the next season or are you kind of non always going like non-stop about it no, kind of, we pretty much back off for that once the season's over for a few weeks, you know, because at that time, whenever your season ends, unfortunately this year, you know, ended early for us, but, you know, you want the, if the kid's playing a fall sport, you want them getting, you know, getting ready for baseball, getting ready for lacrosse or whatever, you know, even if it's, you know, outdoor track, get used to running again and stuff like that. You know, we don't, it's, it's all part of the high school process. You want to try to encourage them to play a different sport every season. Some of them, they just want to play hockey. You know, that's fine. That's their choice. You know, the kid wants to play football in the fall. I'm not going to, I'm going to stay out of his way. I'm not going to, because I don't, I wouldn't want the football coach bothering me during hockey. You know, you, so I try to show each season, you try to give each coach their, you know, the respect that they deserve. And the, you want the kid focusing on that sport because you want to see them do well and, and, and not just hockey, you know, in baseball, whatever they're doing. I, even if they're involved with something like a club from the school, you want to see them succeed in whatever they, you know, whatever they choose to do. Yeah. And I think that that's really important because even more so like th- that's one of the hardest things I know as like a football coach. It's like, I get a lot of kids who are always like, ah, I want to focus on hockey or oh, I want to focus on basketball. Oh, I want to focus on baseball. And it can be really frustrating. And, and, it's nice to hear that, like you encourage kids, like, hey, listen, you're a part of a of a city, a town, and you know this is you guys are representing them. And if you play multiple sports, we want to give you that opportunity to do that. And you, like you said, not breathe down. I've I've had plenty of coaches on here that have talked about this topic, and maybe there are coaches in their school that are not encouraging kids to, you know, follow and play another sport because they're afraid of injury or they're afraid of, you know, yeah, you, know, you know, something more um, that maybe affects them for the following sport, you know. But I also agree with playing other sports because of the idea of you grow mentally as an athlete. I mean, when you get put into leadership uh, positions and maybe another sport come back around that next season, there's different like weapons in their arsenal, maybe mentally, if nothing else, that was different than the last season they were with you. Maybe they're more confident with the puck or they're more confident in shooting or being more physical on the ice. Like that can all translate. I know playing football and hockey for me, the physicality transferred into both games for me. So, um, you know, that was something that I had kind of had consistent. And I would say that, you know, truthfully football kind of got that out of me for hockey. So, um, you know, I totally understand what you're saying there. And I think it's great that you guys encourage that. Um, you know, you've been an assistant coach for 13 years. I mean, have you ever thought about taking that next leap or step and to becoming a head coach is, is Mefford a place that you kind of always just want to coach and, and whether that's being an assistant coach or a head coach, or do you have those aspirations? Well, I, I can't really see myself co- at least at the high school level coaching, you know, elsewhere, just, you know, cause I, obviously everyone from Mefford that plays hockey, I want them to come to Mefford. I and play, play for me, play for my cousin. Um, if, you know, if you ever wanted to step down, I, I 
I'd be more than willing to, you know, take on the head coaching job. I, I think I'm ready for it. Obviously, I thought I was ready for it when I was 25 years old, but thankfully, I had another guy that had been around for a long time to, you know, help show me the ropes because I, I would have been a maniac out there. I, you know, I had <laughs> to learn to like calm down over the years, even with the um, officials. There was times I would just go nonstop, but I realized it was just, you know, relax and just kind of have a conversation because you, obviously, you know, from coaching football, you see some of the same guys over and over again. You get to know them, you know. They're not bad guys. They're just out there trying to make extra money, and you know. It's, it's, but it can, you. but it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> there were a couple of, I want to say a couple. Of, I think we had one game this year where I, you know, I, I was ready to explode on them. But overall, you know, there was one guy. I think he, he did like six of our games last year, and our little the short season we got. He, we had him another five, six times this year. So like, you get to know the guy. And, you know, you make a call he doesn't like, you know, or you don't like, you know, it's, it's easy to just call the guy over and have a little conversation. I like, try to just have like a conversation with him as opposed to, you know, screaming across the rink deep anymore. Yeah. And it's so hard, you know, I mean, as a young assistant too, like you, you are when, when at that age, like I know I was, you just fired up, like you're bought into it. There's a passion. I mean, I played at Allentown Catholic. So for me, there was that passion of it too, as a player, you know, you want the kids to feel that you want them to feed off your energy a little bit. So yeah, you can get all sorts of fired up, you know, officiating And I'll tell you, I mean, I've seen football officials get it. I've seen hockey uh, refs get it. But no one gets it like basketball refs. A game, I'll tell you, the game I covered the other night, that those refs could not have made a right call no matter what. There was no one in that building that was going to 100% agree with the call that they made. And, and everybody let them know about it. And I've seen that consistency in basketball that, and maybe because I'm closer up and getting footage and, you know, right by the sideline or right by the bench, but I, it's funny. I mean, sometimes it's, sometimes you're like, yeah, that was kind of a tough call, but sometimes you're like, oh man, they, they got to be able to take it because they get it all night long, you know? Yeah. Well, especially a game like that, you went to, you know, the gym's probably packed. There's no, they can't hide inside the glass of boards like you can in a hockey rink or even, you know, one side of stadium, the football field. I mean, hopefully you're on the other side of the field and you, you know, you're not hearing as much nonsense out of the stands as you would as that poor guys on that side of the, you know, of the game. Yeah. It's, it's funny, man. You know, I, I just, I've noticed it more so this year and uh, it's, it's an element of the game that I definitely didn't realize existed, but it, I mean, it is funny. It is funny. Um, like you said, you've been, you've been in, you know, Mefford for a long time and, and obviously you've been under two different coaches, head coaches, you've seen programs maybe ran differently. Um, you know, talent pool being different or the same, depending on, um, you know, the year, whatever year it was, what would be your advice to young coaches, a 25 year old Mark Bates, who's jumping in and wanting to be a coach or maybe become a head coach. I mean, what advice would you give them, uh, as far as, you know, getting their feet wet in the game early on? Um, probably just got to get to know your plays. Try to be as patient as you can. You can't, you know, jump off the, the deep edge like I wanted to when I first started. Um, <laughs> you, and you, you, you got to have thick skin. And, and, and hopefully you, you're at a – hopefully when you start out, you're at a school system where you have an athletic director that's going to have you back when, you know, if parents start calling, making phone calls on you, or kids aren't happy, you got to – just tell them, you know, you just got to set you set the rules, you know, right up front. This is what, you know, you're looking for. You can't 
even though even if you're young, you got to make sure you, the kids don't walk all over you because they can tell you're young. You know, you're inexperienced. You know, you got to you know, you got to be able to stand your ground out there. Yeah. And to me right away, you know, especially where I didn't play in college, you know, coming back and really hadn't been away from the game for four years, maybe besides watching college football and playing Madden. Right. I mean, that was kind of my only thing of, of football. So going back, a big priority to me was, yeah, like to gain that respect um, was really watching film and, and really absorbing and learning how to do that from a play to play perspective, how to watch different positions. And I noticed like after my especially after my second year that coaching defensive backs and keep moving up every year the kids when they know that they see that you know what you're talking about or things kind of unveil or happen as you kind of tell them it's going to in certain situations that's when they really gain that respect for you they really look at you and say all right this coach knows what they're talking about they're invested in the program but most importantly they're invested in us you know and that's kind of what i've seen the success and i've i love asking this question because truthfully i never get the same answer you know and i think for any coach who listens and i have a lot of coaches who listen and i get that feedback about this question a lot truthfully because you know it's the same thing. You don't hear the same answer. So um, there's, it just shows you there's no right or wrong way of going into coaching and how you can attack it, you know, to, to give you the most success. Um, so no, that's great. Um, all right, man. So listen, we're going to jump into our last segment here. It's called our Cheney's two minute drill. Uh, what we'll do is fire a bunch of rapid fire questions at you. One or two word answers. I uh, do get a red flag. If I want to toss a red flag and have you explain something a little further, uh, definitely. And vice versa. If you want to explain something after you say it, you got the floor for any of the questions. So it's pretty fun. Um, and the coaches really love it. So let me get this timer set. And uh, here we go. All right. Toughest away game you guys played this year? Um, I'd have to say uh, last game versus Burlington. Okay. Yeah, the, I'll tell you, Burlington fan section was rocking at that. I covered the basketball game. If there's hockey fans are like anything like the basketball, we're holy moly. Um, team team uh, as a player in Mefford that you always just wanted to beat no matter what? Have to say Arlington. Okay. I like a good hockey, good hockey. PBL rival, which I wish it was, <laughs> wish we still had it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a great program. That was great matchups back in the day. Uh, what was your breakaway move? What is your breakaway move? You go on a breakaway. What are you doing? Um, probably looking to go backhand on the crossbar. Okay. Okay. And you know, a triple D glove side or whatever, you know, um, song that kind of still gets you juiced up a little bit before a big game. Um, probably the old school stuff. Still songs from ACDC, the, the Rocky Anthem. There we go. There we go. Uh, well, what kids listen to these days. It's so different. It's so different. Like you, you... <laughs> it drives me nuts. Yeah, we're actually looking into like literally creating a high school playlist with all different music genres. So it's like any coach or player, like it's mixed in with music dating back to the 80s, the 90s, 2000s, 10s, like now, like, you know, and I just think it saves so many headaches for coaches and programs because music is, at least in football, whenever kids are like, can we put our playlist on? I'd be like, what songs are on it? Are there any swears on it? And like, I'm supposed to be worrying about a game and I'm like petrified during pregame listening to the music on it. There's not going to be like an F-bomb dropped or anything like that. So it's uh, music's always interesting. I love asking this question, too. All right. Uh, best podcast or most interesting podcast that you listen to right now besides us? <laughs> uh, 
I'd, I'd have to say um, I listen to Spinning Chicklets on a regular basis. Okay. Okay. Um, best teammate you've ever had. Oh, you're going to get me killed. <laughs> I've lucky out a lot of that, That's one of the awesome best things about hockey. You usually have a lot, a lot of awesome teammates that you played with. Um, I'd probably say my old high school line mate, Dave Libertori. I know Dave. I played on a few teams, teams with Dave Libertori before. That's very yep. interesting. That's a good answer. High school. He's a good dude. I haven't seen him in a long, long time. I actually covered a game last night with a couple kids that we were actually on the same team, Pat Carney, Jimmy Mason. Uh, so it's funny. I haven't heard those names and seen those guys in a long time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So that's what I mean, dude. It's just, it's a small world. That's funny. Uh, all right. Last question. Most talented. I'm not saying your best player, but your most talented player or one of your most talented players you've seen come through the program over the last 13 years. Um, I, I know there's thought, a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I've had some going. I think the one, one of the kids that had the most successful was four years. I would probably have to say Jack Lonigan. I think okay. he was a, I want to say a 2018 graduate around that time frame. It was well, yeah, four or five years ago because all those kids should be seniors in college right now if they're on the right schedule. Was he forward defenseman? He's a uh, forward. Okay. okay. Played a regular shift for us from his freshman year through senior year. Oh, so he started as like literally a true freshman or played for you guys as like a true freshman? Yeah, no, we had him basically. He was on the first or second line every year because his freshman year he walked in. There was we were very young that year, and then obviously those kids grew and they had they had pretty good junior and senior years for themselves. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Honestly, over the last five years in sports, especially in high school, I mean, even my years at AC, I mean, I started three freshmen within like my first two years because they were good or they had the value of being like, all right, you know, these guys are probably going to make mistakes and at times just be all physical, but these guys are getting experience and becoming leaders. They're seeing the pace of the game, how fast it is. Like, yeah. So, you know, I, I hear that more and more in every sport, man, freshmen, sophomores are sometimes the cornerstones of like a team or like the, you know, in, in hockey, in a sense, it could be one of your best players and and you don't even know it till you see them come on the ice for the very first time. Yeah, like like you just said, you, you know, you see a younger kid, you try to take them along because, you know, you're hoping down the road that, you know, they're going to keep on progressing. And then, you know, they could hopefully be, you know, your go-to guys come their junior and senior year, especially. Yeah, and it's a gamble. You know, I mean, some people get mad, you know, especially kids who've been in the program for maybe a few years and felt like, hey, I worked hard this offseason and, you know, I played sports or I was in the weight room or I played, you know, hockey, you know, and, and whatever team and, you know, and then all of a sudden this young kid comes in and, and maybe swoops a spot. But, you know, those are the tough decisions we make as coaches. And we look at a program for, you know, not just a year to year thing. We look over a program over a few different years and see what we have for classes and talent and understand that, you know, maybe in two years down the road, these young guys we have playing are, are very good and they're going to be even better. And, you know, sometimes you ride with those guys a little bit and it comes with criticism. But, you know, as a coach, I think sometimes people just think you're thinking year to year and, you can't be when you're running a program. You're thinking nonstop. You're thinking always about the next kids that are coming in or who might be leaving the school to go to prep school or, you know, who's graduating and what's coming up next. And I know in your guys' case, I think as of now, you only have like a goalie and one goalie in your program, right? So that's not easy either that that, you know, the kid obviously is great for him, but like there's not necessarily competition or, or a push there either, which is it can be tough for coaches at times too to, to get that out of them, you know? Yeah, that, that might have been the toughest part of the season, especially you only have one goalie. It, it kind of disrupts practice as well. You like to have two goalies out there, so you, 
you know, you can get some flow going, even just a, a simple, you know, two on one drill or a one on one that you're doing out there. The defensemen always, they end up just trying, they're trying to play defense and goalie. Cause, and then the, the foe is not really, you, you know, you want them to try to make a hockey play in the defenseman. You want the defenseman to, you know, not worry about that there's no goalie back there. But it was, that was a tough adjustment for everybody this year. Yeah. Oh, it's just injury. Like if he gets hurt, what do you do? Like, what do you do? You know? We, so it's like we had a we had to cancel the game after the first period this year. And that's it was uh <laughs> it was an interesting year this year. I think every like bad thing that could happen did happen this year. It was <laughs> between COVID, you know, uh, poor goalie getting hurt that game. It was it was very bizarre. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, at least in like football, you always at least have a backup quarterback, you know, just in case. But yeah, I mean, in hockey, you don't have a goalie. It's that's everything. But uh, that was an extended two minute drill. There. That was a great conversation at the end. But you survived our Cheney's two minute drill. And I just want to say, Mark, thanks for coming on here. I mean, I've heard nothing but great things. Obviously, we've known each other over the years. But, you know, your coaching, your coaching style, how your players respond to you, you know, what your peers, what your coaches that you work with, you know, especially Sean, think of you. Uh, it was great to be able to choose you to come on the show. And I want to thank you for really taking the time to chat with us. No, I, I want to say I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it seems like you're doing a pretty good job with this podcast and stuff like that. You did a great job when you came down and did that um that film on the team. I think it, I think it got a great response from other uh, kids, and I'm sure their parents were happy with it as well. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, Mefford's a hard, hard rink to, to shoot in because everybody's along the glass, and I feel like that's kind of where we get, like, a lot of our best shots, and which is a great thing. I think that's cool that everybody's along the glass, but for, like, what we're doing and, like, work, we were like, oh, my God, this is going to be really hard, you know? So yeah. uh, we definitely had to deal with some curveballs there. But, uh, no, it was great. Your kids were great. Like, everybody was psyched about it, um, you know, talking to your captains, getting stuff in the locker room, action on the ice. Yeah, it was great. And you guys treated us very well with open arms. So we appreciated that too. So um, Anthony Petrellis from Beyond Podcast, Mark Bates from Mefford High Hockey. Uh, Till next time.